Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Friday, August 4th. This week, Calgary Mayor Jody Gondek, Edmonton's Mayor Sohi, and the provincial government all expressing deep disappointment regarding the federal government's funding decision on housing, or lack thereof in this case. Mayor Gondek joined us to talk about housing, the verbal attack on a member of the LGBTQ plus community, and the end of the Commonwealth Games bid. The Alberta government pushing ahead with a controversial plan to mandate drug rehab for some people suffering from drug addiction. Does this approach make sense? We asked the opinion of Kim Porter, member of Mums Stop the Harm and the Medicine Hat Drug Coalition. And Alberta's tech sector is outpacing the rest of Canada. What makes Alberta an ideal tech destination and is it sustainable? We put those questions to Josh Bors, co-founder and chief financial officer of Canadian tech education leader Lighthouse. This week, Mayor Gondek, along with Edmonton's Mayor Sohi and the provincial government, all expressing their deep disappointment about the federal government's funding decision on housing, or lack thereof in this case. Mayor Gondek, back with us this week to talk about it. Good morning, Madam Mayor. Good morning. How are you, Sue? Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us to have a little chat. I know this was a big one, and, and uh, you know the disappointment was obvious coming from all levels here, but your thoughts on the, uh, the housing or lack of housing money being provided for Alberta? I think we need to look at the disparity that has been created um, with the funding model. And this is where I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt to the federal government and ask that their analysts go back and look at just how much each province received because we're in dire straits. We have 12% of the population and we only received less than 3% of the funding that was available. And I'm incredibly concerned that our city and our province are not going to be able to keep pace, especially when we're one of the hotspots for welcoming newcomers, whether it's in migration or people fleeing countries where, you know, there are active uh, acts of violence happening against them, we need to make sure we've got housing for these folks. Now, did more of the money go to the more populous cities and provinces? And, is, and, you know, despite whether they have the issues that we have here in the city of Calgary? Those are some of the analytics that I'd like to understand. Mm-hmm. And I would really hope that the federal government is tracking things like this. Because I can tell you, even in uh, conversations with partner municipalities like Okotoks, um, the application they submitted also did not get approved. So this is about more than just Calgary. I'm incredibly worried that our province is not getting our fair share considering our population. So that's why we're requesting that the feds go back and look at what was funded and what was not and think about the opportunities they're missing. And hopefully we get some answers on that for sure. I know you'll be pushing for that for sure. Um, Another announcement that just came down either late yesterday or this morning, Alberta not moving forward with the bid for the 2030 Commonwealth Games. Are you disappointed in that one or do you think it was the right move by the province? You know, I can't speak for the province, but I will tell you I greatly appreciated the opportunity to discuss this with Minister Scout directly. Um, He did give me a call and give me the heads up before this announcement was made. Um, they've definitely got their reasons. They were concerned about returns. They were concerned about this type of an investment at this time. So that decision is absolutely theirs. It is a bit disappointing for us. We were hoping to be able to move forward projects like the multi-sport field house in tandem with these games. We were also working with First Nations partners um, to ensure that there was a nation-to-crown relationship that could really advance the idea of reconciliation and take some action in that regard. So it is a letdown, um, but I understand that a partner order of government has its own decisions to make. 
Uh, just watching uh, this clip come up on Global News yet again, but uh, this week we saw the video from a Calgarian and a member of the LGBTQ plus community facing hate speech, harassment, simply for being near a pride walkway. Do you think the city's doing enough to address hate on the speech and uh, or hate on the streets? And I will say that uh, th- that that man has been charged under the new bylaw that you had a hand in creating, which is great news. Um, do you think that bylaw is, you know, that's an example of, uh, you know, putting these things to work that you're, you're trying to make sure that we're safe on our streets in this city? I have to say the bylaw that was created by our administrative experts um, is a very good one. There are problems with charges against hate speech when it comes to the threshold that the Crown has established. So I would imagine that what happened is not going to stick in the courts because it doesn't meet the high threshold that's required, which is actually the real root of the problem. Uh, But for us to have the ability to use the bylaw to charge someone who's clearly a hate monger, that is incredibly important. So it looks like that then that will do its job. And, and, and was that why you, you know, kind of, and I say you, I say your, your entire team, but is that why this bylaw was created for examples like this? Yeah, absolutely. We saw the gap. Um, you know, it was something that was advanced um, back last term by Councillor Drew Farrell because she was incredibly concerned about street harassment um, when it comes to women and people of color. We are now seeing that the anti-LGBTQ2 plus community and the trans community in particular are facing a lot of targeted hate. And this type of bylaw is useful to fill in, you know, the gaps where, frankly, the crown is not doing its job. Mm-hmm. Good. Uh, and I was pleased to see that that bylaw was uh, the, the citation handed out. We'll see how that one goes for sure. Green line utility work, another thing we would talk about because it's going to be impacting traffic in downtown next week. Can you tell us uh, what this next phase is all about? Yeah, you know what, there is some utility work that's being done um, and it's along the path of the future Green Line. So there are some closures, there are some detours. I would highly recommend that folks check out the Green Line website and understand where those closures are going to be before you head downtown. Um, I can tell you I was over at Fleetwood yesterday and there's all kinds of work going on around it. So we had to use a few different detours. So please check out the city website, the Green Line website, to know where the closures and the detours are so that your trip is a little bit better and a lot less frustrating. When it comes to that, where are we? You and I both live up in the north end of the city. Where are we with the, um, the, the movement for the north part of this line? Well, one of the things that we managed to do when we approved the Green Line uh, back in 2020 was to ensure that a proper bus rapid transit route that could then be converted to LRT was part of the project and I'm really happy to tell you that it is a priority of the city. Councillor Jasmine Meehan has been advancing this work herself and it is my hope and expectation that riders in North Central Calgary will at least be able to take advantage of dedicated bus lanes to um, get uh, into downtown and then back up home again and we continue to advocate for the funds that are needed to have proper train service there as well. So the advocacy work hasn't stopped and the intermediate solution has been created. Let's talk about festivals because uh, summertime, we love our good music festivals, street festivals, whatever they might be. Country Thunder is one of the biggies that is coming August 18th to the 20th at Fort Calgary. How important are these festivals to our city and the area? I think it's really significant on a number of fronts. People are generally interested in what are the economics? What's the, the benefit? There's always an uplift to the economy when you have a festival like this. People are out and about. They're engaging with retail. They're engaging with restaurants. It's really good for the city. 
Um, the other thing is you get to see a lot of performances by people you might not know about. So if you go to a concert, you know who the acts are. But if you go to a festival, sometimes you take in some music you weren't expecting. And it really showcases a lot of talent. And frankly, you know what? We really are better when we're together. So a festival like this really allows people to come together in a common space, share a love of music, and just really have a nice time. And that's something that's sometimes overlooked. Mm -hmm. This idea of let's be happy and enjoy our summer is really important. Thank you very much. Have a great long weekend. Thank you, everyone. A great long weekend to all of you. And let's be happy this weekend. Happy, enjoy, have fun. Thank you very much. Calgary Mayor Jody Gondek. The Alberta government is pushing forward with a plan to mandate drug rehab for people suffering from drug addictions. Does this approach make sense? Joining us to talk about it is Kim Porter, member of Mums Stop the Harm and the Medicine Hat Drug Coalition. Morning, Kim. Thanks so much for being with us. Good morning, Sue. Thanks for having me. How to deal with the addiction crisis is an ongoing debate. Lots of differing views and opinions. From your experience, Kim, how bad, how, is this a crisis? Would you define it as a crisis, this drug addiction issue in Alberta and drug poisoning deaths that we're experiencing? I would define it as um, beyond a crisis, but I don't think it's an addiction crisis. I believe, as you said, the drug poisoning, I think that we're dealing with a a very tainted drug supply. People are dying that don't struggle with addiction. Uh, First-time users um, are dying, and so um, this isn't a, a crisis of addiction. It's a crisis of a tainted drug supply, and it's a crisis of um drug policies and drug policies that need to be changed um, in a direction that um, works for the benefit of those that are especially um, suffering with um, the ravages of this drug supply. How does your organization view the government's focus on this recovery-oriented system of care? Well, the recovery-oriented system of care, we uh, support recovery. We support all forms of recovery. Uh, We've never said that we don't, although the powers that be seem to push back against that and and believe that we um, believe in supplying people with with drugs. We do. We believe in uh, supplying people with a safer Mm -hmm. supply of drugs. We believe that the the recovery model is... um, necessary and will help a small group of people however um it's too narrow it's too narrow of a focus and we need to expand um the services that are offered we the we're living in a province that has had some supports in place and they're slowly being stripped away um and we're being told that um in uh, Dan Williams's mandate letter for what he's supposed to do. There's money being put into all sorts of different areas of mental health. Um, the, the amount of money over the course of his four years is a bit of a drop of in the hat. Um, so we, we feel pretty strongly that um, the, the system that's being put in place focuses too much on abstinence only. And... Um, isn't going to work for the majority of people that are struggling. 
Do you think that harm reduction program concept, it makes more sense? That's what you were referring to, I'm gathering, of, you know, criticisms of giving the drug to drug addicts or people who use drugs mm-hmm. as a way to wean them off it, right? That's what the harm reduction program really kind of is, isn't it? Well, harm reduction is, is in general, is a philosophy, and it's a philosophy of um, meeting people where they're at. It's a philosophy of doing what the the people that are struggling and don't want to be struggling, uh, reaching out to them and finding out what they think would work for them. Part of some of the um, resources for harm reduction are um, giving people a safer supply of drugs. Um, part of it is giving them a safe place to use those drugs, like supervised consumption sites. Um, that part of harm reduction is what we support. And we don't just support harm reduction. Like the, the legs of a chair, you need all all the all the four legs on a chair to make it stable. You can't take one of them away and expect that it, the, the chair is going to remain standing. Um, so we used to call that wraparound support and that's that's what i believe we need to be doing so this concept uh, that the alberta government is talking about you know mandating mandating rehab an actual rehab for those who are suffering from addictions does that fly in the face of sort of what you see on the street and what you experience with your organization well first of all how, I, I don't understand how they're going to mandate treatment and find the resources for that when there's people that want to get into treatment right now and are on wait lists. Um, so the, the system is somewhat bottlenecked that way. Um, so um, also, I think it it's not gonna pass legislation. Um, I think it, it flies in the face of um, uh, not doing what's best for humanity. Um, no one is, no one does well when they're forced into some sort of treatment. Um, I think I think I'm I'm exhausted right now, and I've been my son died seven years ago, and I've been pushing for change for seven years, and I'm finding this um, I find this journey exhausting. Um, the uh, it feels like we keep offering carrots. Um, we keep offering ways to here's some information. Here's how the people on the street what they need, and and it keeps getting turned on us, um, on us as in uh, members that have, of society that are that are living with this these these losses um, very personally. Um, Williams is, has been noted to say that uh, he he says their best thinking has gotten us to the spot we are today. Um, that's not a statement that makes us um, feel like we're we're dealing in a collaborative model. Um, we need to make huge. We need to take huge risks. I think we need to make a huge shift, and um, we're not going to do that in the political realm. Um, matter of fact, I got up early for this interview, and even though your listeners can't see this, but I got people before politics. Um, I think that's, that's one of the, sh- the shifts we need to make is uh, politicians perhaps only run for uh, one term and so that the decisions that they make aren't based on obtaining more votes. Um, they're based on what's best for humanity. I am barely five feet tall and I walk downtown 
and I go into the parks that typically the people that are unhoused, uh, the people that are, are using substances hang out, and I, I go and visit with them. I deliver them food and, and water and stuff. I've never felt afraid. Um, and so I think we also need to um, look at the stigma that's associated with um, people that are houseless, people that are using substances, um, and, and, and get those old messages out of our head. Um, I, I think the only way we're going to do that is is by taking a big shift um, and completely revamping the system. We can't keep doing these mamby-pamby baby steps. Um, we can't use words. I look at um, Danielle Smith's uh, letter, mandate letter from the Premier, and I think they got one thing right. They got the words all right. The, you know, the, the it's, it's quite wordsmithed. Um, but I can't make sense out of what she's asking of him to do. Um, and then I look at uh, the justice ministers and his letter, and it says that, you know, he's supposed to help develop this compassionate intervention legislation. The, it's such a juxtapose to have compassion and intervention together beside each other. There's nothing compassionate about forcing someone into treatment that doesn't want to be there. Where is that person's human rights? Okay, well, I, you know, I'm sorry for your loss, and I respect as a mom, someone who's continuing to fight years after losing your own son, I absolutely respect the job you're doing. And, and thanks for breaking it down for us and, and letting us know sort of the perspective from, from your side of things. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks, Sue. Appreciate okay, it. Have a good day. You too. Kim Porter, member of Mums Stop the Harm and the Medicine Hat Drug Coalition. You can find out more at mumsstoptheharm.com. Alberta's tech sector continues to grow and quickly at that. So joining us to talk about why Alberta is such a great destination for tech investment is Josh Bors, co-founder and chief financial officer of Canadian tech education leader Lighthouse Labs. Hi, Josh. Thanks for joining us this morning. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. When we talk about tech, can you kind of break down what are the sort of the biggies in, of, of tech, the tech sector, the tech industry in Alberta? What are the big ones? Yeah, I mean, listen, there's a, a number of really uh, nice uh, tentpole companies here in Alberta, but it is very diverse now. Um, you have all of your oil and gas tech sector, but you also have a, a bunch of startups, fintech, uh, you have, and then you have your regular companies that are basically all become a little bit more technology-driven at this point. Um, that's all. And then you have your large companies as well. We got our, uh, our Accentures, we have Neo Financials, uh, we have Athenian. We, there's a plenty of really good tech companies here in, uh, in Alberta. So how, how do you kind of break down the definition of tech then? Who, who are these companies? What are they doing? Yeah, I mean, there's the tr traditional definition of technology, which is, you know, your startups, you've, if you've ever watched The Social Network, you know, uh, everything that you think about in Silicon Valley. But then there's just uh, technology has invaded almost everything we do. So... Um, you know, examples uh, of companies that uh, are in there is, as I said, Neo Financials is, uh, is a fantastic example. They're in the fintech space. So it's everything to do with how you access banking, uh, looking at uh, when you go onto your uh, mobile phone and want to make uh, uh, payments. That is technology that is driving that. Um, then you have your small startups as well um, and everything in between. So when we talk about Alberta sort of being a, a hub for tech, is it because um, the government makes it easy for them to come here and sort of start a company like a Neo Financial? Yeah, it's been uh, absolutely, um, I, I, we've been a big supporter of what the Alberta government has been doing. Um, if we go back 10 years, um, the, every conversation we were having was just, 
tech started and ended with oil and gas, but there's been a concerted effort since then to really bring bringing companies in, um, and it's started across every, with everything that they do. Um, Lighthouse Labs itself has been has gotten an investment both from the city of Calgary and the federal government uh, to help grow our Alberta um, footprint, um, and that's been fantastic because what they recognize is that it's you need to take many steps. You have to reduce barriers for companies to come here, which if in our case uh, includes how do we make sure that there's enough talent um, for all these companies because companies have been in a talent war. And so starting from the base, starting an understanding that we need to build up the talent that is here, that creates a very lively ecosystem. And so the government has been very supportive of that. How would we compare, Josh, to other provinces? I mean, we're just talking within Canada. What is it that, that's drawing businesses here? What, what is it that our government's doing specifically that maybe others are not? Yeah, so, I mean, listen, Light, Lighthouse Labs, uh, we teach uh, students across all of Canada, having graduated, you know, over 2,000 developers last year. Um, but what we've seen a lot of growth uh, in the Alberta market. Um, a lot of what's happening there is uh, you get on a roll. Um, these ecosystems build up. Uh, and then the cost of living relative to the rest of Canada has been uh, something that is a lot of people have been, companies have been moving over there for. Uh, then not just the cost, but also the quality of life. Everyone uh, raves about it. Uh, unfortunately, I, I myself don't live in Alberta. I live in Mexico City, but uh, we have lots of friends who have basically pulled up roots elsewhere in Canada and have decided to move over to Alberta because of how much uh, they enjoy the quality of life there. It's not Mexico um, so, City, but it's pretty good, Josh. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you think that Alberta's tech sector will you know, kind of be the, the or continue to be the driver in this province? Is that sort of where we're at and what we're aiming for? Uh, absolutely. I think uh, Alberta is uh, very well placed to be a driver of uh, technology, to be a driver going forward. It's very well placed relative to its U.S. There's a number of firm, firms that are opening up, uh, U.S. companies that are opening up shop in Alberta due to a lot of support from the government in uh, helping them make that that transition. Uh, we're seeing a lot of developers move, and you end up with these economies of scale. Um, as you start getting more mature companies, employee, employees start um, spinning off and creating new companies, and you get a and end up with an ecosystem that is quite active. And that's what we're starting to see in Alberta. And if, I mean, I'm obviously the province, municipalities too, the city, they would all need to be sort of on board to make sure that we're uh, luring those tech companies here and keeping Absolutely. them here, right? So that's something that it must be in the long-term plan because we have to make sure that we keep bringing them. Once companies see, oh, uh, you know, there's others here, I should go too. What's going to bring them and what's going to keep them is important. Absolutely, and, and we can call out specifically Opportunity Calgary Investment Fund has been very forward-thinking um, about how to bring companies there and how to maintain their, their t- advantages. Awesome. Uh, it's great to hear you know, that good things are happening in this province and, and uh, hopefully will continue. Thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate your time, Josh. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Josh Boros, co-founder, chief financial officer of Canadian tech education leader, Lighthouse Labs. You can go online and find out more about Lighthouse Labs at lighthouselabs.ca.